You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Who loves a good delivery service? Like, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> so it could be parcels, right? It could be letters, cards, birthday cards, things like that. It could be food. Uh, so you've got Amazon Prime, all right? You've got Hermes, you've got Yodel, you've got DHL, you've got Royal Mail, Parcel Force, you've got Deliveroo, you've got Just Eat. I, I'm, I'm, there's others, I'm sure. So, you know, if anyone's listening to this, uh, you know, there are other delivery services available. I don't want to feel like we're, we're, you know, selling some of them to you. You know, there's some real pros, aren't there? Some, some real plus points to these delivery services, right? How many of you use a delivery service in some way or form? Just pop a hand in the air. We're Pentecostals. We're okay with that, right? Okay. So a number of you, most of you, I would say, use delivery service in some form or another and and because it's super convenient right like it's often speedy particularly if you've got the super amazon prime like top thing where like next day delivery is a thing of the past you can get same day delivery on some things which is just insane go to the shop (laughs) no i'm joking like I'm, i'm joking i'm not judging i'm not judging you know but it's amazing but there's also cons to this there's often like uh you're you're paying extra for packaging, post and packaging. So if you go on eBay, you always look for the like free postage things. But you know, don't you, that if somebody's offering you free postage, it's because they've whacked the cost on somewhere else, right? Amazon Prime, yeah, it's free. No, it's not. You're paying $7.99 a month for it or something like that. So it's not really free. There's a cost to it. Um, and sometimes it can be inefficient and unreliable. I mean, the amount of times, right, if you live in Bowness, you've probably come across Bowness Matters, Bowness Natters, Bowness Community Group, Bowness Patters. I, I don't know, there's a million different groups, Facebook groups in Bowness, and every so often you get someone going, who's got the number for the Hermes guy? <laughs> He's delivered it to the wrong guy. Or you get somebody saying, who's this? And they, they put a photo of a parcel there, and it's like been delivered to their address, but haven't got a clue who the person is on that. And sometimes, like, I've literally got home, opened the front door, and there's a parcel on my step. And there's nothing through the door to say there's a parcel on your step. Like, we, we live, our front door opens onto a field that everyone walks past. Like, it doesn't seem very secure that you could just leave that parcel on my front step. The other day, a guy, literally, he was playing chapdoor run with me. Like, by the time I got to the door, he was halfway down the street, left my parcels there. I mean, I don't blame him because it was in the middle of Storm Dudley. Uh, and, and so, like, every, the rain and the wind was, like, crashing down. And my parcels were already absolutely soaked. Um, sometimes they send you a photo, don't they, to go, I've delivered this to your house, and you're going, that's not my front door. <laughs> like, um, that could be kind of awkward. Maybe the wrong address. Maybe you've, you've got a, a food delivery and it's been cold, right? Uh, have you ever had that? That's frustrating, isn't it? You, you go out, you know, you, you get a Chinese delivered or a, an Indian delivered, and it turns up and it's cold and you've got a microwave, which kind of defeats the object of it. And, and sometimes you get the wrong items as well. Uh, and actually, Sainsbury's, I don't know if you saw this in the news this week, Sainsbury's has been officially like, highlighted as the worst for click and collect, not click and collect, what's it, the delivery service, for when they substitute 
And so there are things like, we haven't got any ice cream, so we sent you some fish. Because of course, you know, if you haven't got ice cream, you want some sea bass. You know, it's a perfect substitute for that. And I'm kind of thinking, you had one job. <laughs> you had one job to deliver. That's it. The right thing, the right time, the right kind of way, one job. I want my deliverer to be reliable, dependable, on time, and secure. That's what I want from my deliverer. Now, to deliver, think about the verb. There's a sense of direction, isn't there, in delivering, to deliver. There's an origin, there's a kind of a journey, and there's a finish point. So, you know, the origin is, uh, I guess when you click, yes, I'm buying that several times over. <laughs> I'm buying that, I'm buying that. And then that goes through to the factory, and then the factory kind of get your stuff. They send it out for delivery. It arrives at the warehouse. Uh, the warehouse gives it to the Hermes guy. The Hermes guy texts you and says, hey, mate, I'm coming to drop it off between 10 and 1 in the morning, you know. <laughs> Um, and, and that's kind of how it works. There's an origin, there's a journey, there's a destination in delivery. Uh, other examples of delivery. Deliver a baby. Never done it myself, but <laughs> thankfully. But, but that's, that's a, a way of delivering. And again, there's that sense of journey. There's a starting point that we won't talk about. There's an origin, there's a, uh, there's a kind of a delivery uh, point as well. Like, there could be delivery from the jaws of death. Like, your boat has gone down and you're waiting and the lifeboat comes along. That's to deliver you from the jaws of death. And Paul, in the book of Philippians, is waiting for possible delivery to the executioner. Being delivered to death or back to freedom. And that's where he's at. He's waiting to be delivered either to death or to freedom. And that's where we find him in our text. I don't have my clicker, John, so if you could just pop up. So we're in Philippians 1, uh, and I'm kind of the back end of verse 18, where we were last week, through to kind of 26, but I'm probably going to stop at verse 21 today if you're following in your Bibles. And Paul says this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... And through the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we spoke about that last week, um, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. There's that word. He's, he's expecting to be delivered. Okay? I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And he goes on, and we're going to pick this bit up next week. He says, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So he's here, he's waiting for deliverance, whether that is deliverance to death or deliverance to life. He is waiting to be delivered. And last week I said, it's all about Jesus come what may. And if you weren't here and if you haven't had the chance, so you can pick that up on our podcast so that it doesn't like, fly over your heads and make no sense to you. But, but he's saying that everything in our lives and around us is about Jesus, so that come what may, it's going to work out for our deliverance. Now, today I just want to pause and look at that one word. I want to deal with the word deliverance. I mean, it sounds like a big word, right? 
You might have heard it in, in perhaps scary kind of context, like you think of Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, you know, kind of dodgy movies and things like that, where some form of deliverance is happening, like exorcism or something like that. But I want to assure you today that this word is not primarily, primarily about things like casting out demons, okay? And certainly it's not that in this text right here where he uses the word deliverance. It's associated as such because of what it actually means, okay? The word that Paul uses, deliverance here, is a Greek word, soteria. Now, if any of you have a bit of theological like awareness or something like that, you might recognize that word slightly, soteria, because it's often translated as salvation, The King James, actually, in this verse, would say, for my salvation, that's how he uses it. Uh, And soteria is where we get the word, uh, the theological term, soteriology. It's the doctrine, the learning, the teaching about salvation. I mean, this is a big deal. Like, everything that we believe comes into this very word, salvation. Salvation. It's the grandest theme in the scriptures, says Charles C. Ryle. Paul actually uses this word again in the second chapter, but this time it is translated salvation. He uses soteria. He says, um, he urges that we work out our soteria, our salvation, with fear and trembling. Like it's a big deal. Salvation is a big deal. And the root of it is about rescue. That's the root of what salvation, that's what we're talking about here, is rescue, rescue. And so everywhere in, in, in scripture that we see the word soteria or associated words, I'll, I'll give you a couple in a minute because it's quite interesting, but everywhere you see it, there's a sense of rescue taking place within it. And if you take Hebrew words that are kind of translated into English in a similar way, there's a sense of rescue, deliverance from and to something. Uh, And so, in other words, uh, that that we have from the same root, we have soterios. It means bringing salvation or saving. So, in Luke 2, verse 30, Simeon's song says, my eyes have seen your salvation. And he's looking at Jesus. My eyes have seen your salvation. And then soter means saviour. So so when in Luke 2.11 it says, Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born. A rescuer has been born. And then another word that comes from this same root is sozo, which means to save or deliver. Matthew 1.21 says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will Uh, sozo, he will save his people from their sins. I've got a lot more to say on this, but let me just stop here and say, if you are lost in your own sins and shame, and you know that you need some form of rescue from that, that rescue comes in the form of Jesus Christ, saviour, rescuer, who will sozo us from our sins, rescue us from our sins. When the disciples are in the boat on their own and there's a storm, 
like Storm Eunice, whipping up around them. And they're scared because you would be in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee with the waves whipping up around you and they're lapping over the boat. And they see the weirdest thing. They see Jesus walking across the water. And then there's another time in the boat where, where again, Jesus is walking across the water and Peter actually goes, I know what to do here. And he he says, Jesus, let me come out to you. And and Peter jumps out of the boat and goes over to Jesus. But the cry of their hearts, the disciples and Peter, when he begins to sink, is, Lord, sozo me. Save me. Save me. Sozo us. Save us. And then finally, diasozo means to bring safely through. A great example of that is the shipwreck in Acts 27, where it says they were all brought safely to land. That is diasozo. They, they were in a perilous situation, and they were delivered to safety. And that is what this cluster of words is all about. And it matters for the physical here and now, but also for the spiritual eternity. Where we see about salvation, it means something for us in this life, in this room right here and right now, and it means something for our souls through eternity as well. And Paul actually, kind of a, he brings a bit of a wordplay in here. When he's saying, you know, I, I expect this, because of your prayers and the gift of the Spirit of Jesus, I, I expect this to turn out for my deliverance. Uh, and he's alluding to his current situation. He's kind of saying, I'm expecting to be freed so that I can carry on g- giving the gospel to people. But, but he's actually speaking into eternity as well, because there's this even if. Are you with that? The, the even if. Even if I die, even if I'm not saved from this physical situation right here, right now, I know that ultimately I am soteriod, if you like, saved through eternity, in eternity. That's an intentional double meaning that he pops in here. There are two versions of deliverance that we're talking about. On the one hand, he's expecting that through their prayers, through the gift of the Spirit, there's the possibility or likelihood of release. And on the other hand, and crucially, expecting with absolute certainty to be delivered to Jesus. The the possible version, sorry, one possible version, one certain version, one physical version, one spiritual version. The possible means release from chains. The spiritual means release from the sin, uh, bonds of sin and death. And like, he's not exactly hedging his bets. He is saying, no matter what, come what may, like I will trust God in this. I mean, you might know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in ancient Babylon, and they were to be, because they wouldn't bow before society's gods. They were going to be judged and executed for it, and they were going to be put into a fire. And as they were in the fire, or before they went in, they said, we will not bow down to your gods, your idols, your ideologies, because that's where we get the word ideology from, idol. 
Uh, and he says that they say, we're not going to bow down, even if that means we are going to go into this fiery furnace, because we fully believe that God is able to come and rescue us from within that fiery furnace itself. But even if, they say, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your idols. And there's an amazing story there. Read it at some point in Daniel, because as these three characters in the fire, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, is looking on, expecting them to be burning up, and he sees them walking around. But that's not even the weirdest thing, that they're just walking around and chatting to each other. There's a fourth person in there. He only put three in, and there's a fourth person in there. And that's because when you are in your most fiery furnace, Jesus is in it with you. Your deliverer is in there with you. You know, even in this prison that Paul is in, it means nothing, really, spiritually. And the Philippians have seen this before. They've seen what it looks like to keep Paul and his mate Silas in prison. Because as Paul and Silas started singing worship songs, there was an earthquake and the walls fell apart. And they've probably, no doubt, heard the stories of when Peter was put into prison. And Peter, just miraculously, but an angel appears and leads him out of the prison, like past the guards. He knocks on the door of the other disciples, and they, they can't believe it's him. They're like, no, no, it can't be Peter. He's in prison. God can meet you where you are, right here and right now, whatever that prison looks like, whatever that cell looks like, and he can draw you out of it, or he can knock the walls out of it. He can do it, and he does do it. He's the healer. He's he's the the chain breaker. He's the addiction untangler. He's the broken heart mender. He's a rescuer. He's a restorer. He's a repairer, and he's a joy giver. But even if and, and when God does the incredible here, physically in our lives, we still need a greater soteria. Whatever situation you're in right now, you might be crying out for rescue. You, you might be pleading with God to change up the circumstances, to, to, to kind of show that person how they've hurt you or something. I don't know what it is, or, or to help you to forgive. You might be trying with all your might to get God to break you out of a situation right here and right now, and he can and he will. So keep asking, keep digging into that, keep surrendering your heart to him and letting him lead you out of the prison. You see, both of those occasions, it was God who did it and not their effort. It wasn't the volume of Paul and Silas's singing that knocked the walls down. I mean, what crummy walls would that kind of be in a prison? It was the power of God. And it wasn't that the guards were clumsy and left the door unlocked for Peter so he could stroll out. He didn't even realize he was awake. And and this angel came and led him out because it was the power of God. And so God can break into your circumstances right now and bust you right out of that circumstance. He can do it. He does do it. I believe he wants to do it, whatever that circumstance is. But we need a greater salvation. Like Lazarus was raised from the dead. I mean, that's incredible. Where is he? He's dead. 
Lazarus died again. <laughs> Sorry, I'm shouting. I'm, I'm not angry. I'm passionate. <laughs> Lazarus died a second time, and he's with Jesus now. Okay, he's not physically here. He is with Jesus. The, the withered hand that Jesus healed, well, now that's somewhere in a grave completely decayed away. Bartimaeus, his eyes once received sight from Jesus in this life, they still dimmed in death. And he is, we assume, with Jesus. So we need a greater and more certain spiritual salvation. Listen carefully. I don't want you guys to make the mistake thinking that the gospel is for unbelievers. It's for you. There's an ongoing process in our salvation. It's not that you have to hang on to it in case you lose it. Like, oh, better be careful. Appease God. Otherwise, he might just bat you to the side. No. But there is a process in our salvation where we are on that journey on that delivery journey, we are being delivered. We've been delivered from the shame of our sin and the consequences of our sin, and we are being delivered through this life to be delivered to Father God. So the gospel is for every person in this room. It's actively important. Work out your salvation. He says, I want you to know that what happened advanced the gospel So it's still going on. It's the story of Scripture. And I've got here in big letters, tell the story. From the very moment that that mankind leaves the garden in shame because they rejected God and chose their own way, their own will, their own desire over being obedient to him, And they they left the garden. But even in that moment, God cuts a cloth from an animal. God God cuts something to cover their shame and nakedness from an animal right there. That is the beginning of his deliverance plan right there. Him covering our shame. It, It was salvation in preserving Noah and his family in the ark. It was the restoration of Joseph to his brothers and, uh, and his father after he had been brutally like, sold into slavery and rejected for dead by his brothers. I mean, the, the worst kind of things that could happen in rejection. Uh, and yet God delivers him to a place where not only does he have more, but he's got a restored relationship with his brothers. And he can say from that point, what was meant for evil, God has used for good. That is the definition of deliverance. What is purpose for bad, for evil, God repurposes for good. Even in the wandering in the wilderness, the complaining about manna and, uh, and water, The healing that happens when Moses lifted a staff with a snake on it and people just had to look at this staff and they were healed from their disease. It's a picture of deliverance. It's a picture of rescue. Faithful to deliver the the Israelites across the Jordan River into the promised land. That is a picture of deliverance. Jericho walls coming tumbling down. Every judge... Named in the Bible to rescue, to restore, to recalibrate the people of Israel, to refocus them back on God. 
I mean, in the Psalms, like, open your Bible, listen to this. Psalm 60, save us and help us with your right hand that those you love may be delivered. Psalm 62, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. Uh, Psalm 63, yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. You see this picture of God being a covering being a fortress, being a shelter, being a strong, secure place, high tower, an ark to shelter from the storm, an anchor. Every prophet pointing towards the ultimate fulfillment of what this deliverance is going to look like. My deliverer is coming. My deliverer is coming. That's the, that's the message of every prophet. My deliverer is coming. Lift your eyes, lift your hope, people. Your deliverer is coming. It's all about Jesus. Yeshua, the very name rooted in Hebrew, it means deliverer. It means to rescue. It's, how, how's that a coincidence? That this, the, these 66 books written over hundreds of thousands of years... Uh, And here is Jesus arriving bang in the middle of it all. And his name means deliverer. That can't be a coincidence. That doesn't happen with tons of different people writing this text that somehow fits together. The Bible is a unified story, one story. It is the story of God rescuing his people. Jesus, only Jesus, behold the Lamb. The story of redemption written on his hands. Acts 4 says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Think about it, the demon legion removed. The paralyzed man picks up his bed and walks. The the widow's son, Jairus' daughter, Raised to life. The, the, the skin diseases disappear in front of people's eyes and the blind see and the deaf hear because my deliverer is coming. And, and he himself was delivered. He was delivered to his parents, Mary and Joseph. He was delivered to the prosecutor, Pilate. He was delivered to the executioner, the centurion and his troop. And he was delivered to death upon the cross. Jesus was delivered so that you may be delivered from your sin and from your past and from your shame and everything that you hold in regret and everything that holds you separate from God. Jesus is the deliverer that brings you right back into his heart. The temple destroyed and raised again in three days, the temple of his body, just as he said, bursting from the grave, ascending in glory and returning soon. My deliverer is coming. And the very moment the Spirit of Christ entered your weary, wandering heart, deliverance, 
salvation. Your rescue is in action. You hear that? Your rescue is in action. Your restoration is in progress. Your healing has begun. Listen, it might take a lifetime in some parts of your life for that healing to be outworked. But there's a promise that he's going to heal all our disease. Everything that binds, everything that hurts, everything that ransacks our lives is being dealt with. And, and listen, sometimes we pray and in the instant God moves. Other times we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and I want to let you know that he is active in that. Even when you can't see it, he is active. He is doing something. He's achieving for us something that goes beyond anything that we could hope for, anything the NHS could provide for us, anything the government could put on our, on our door. You know, 200 pounds in, in the accounts of every energy user in this country is nothing compared to what Jesus is doing in our lives actively. And do you know what? We don't have to pay it back because it's all been paid by him. The finished work of Jesus on the cross. I'm so sorry I get like pretty wrapped in this. At the age of 20, I, I, I lay on my bed and, and I knew that I was making a right royal mess of my life and I was dabbling in drugs and, and I had really appalling relationships with women. Everyone actually, I had appalling relationships with people. I was making a right royal mess and I lay on my bed and I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're there, but if you're there, I need you. And I, I want to stop running from you. I want to stop trying to run my own life. And I want to lay it before you right now. Please come and do something here and now. I didn't pray a special prayer. I didn't do five points or anything like that. I just said, I need you, Lord. Help me. Help me. Help me. God will always respond to the heart that calls out for help. Always. Always. You know, two weeks later, I had... Uh, well, uh, this is a diversion. <laughs> I, that night, I gave my heart to Jesus. I surrendered to him. What we've just been singing, that's what I did. I said, I'm, not, I'm no longer making my own decisions. I'm submitting them all to you. I'm letting you lead me in my life. I'm letting you be in the driving seat. You be the Lord, uh, and I'll be the passenger here. And I'll listen to what you're saying. And I tell you, I promise you, my life has been better since that point. I, I don't mean that it's been without problem. I don't mean that it's been without pain. I don't mean that it's been without me screwing things up because I keep trying to get in the driving seat and nudge Jesus out of the way. Let me have that back, please. But, but I tell you the truth. My sin, oh, the bliss of this amazing thought, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross. And because I've surrendered to him and trusted upon him, I bear the weight of that no more. Imagine all of your guilt and shame being lifted away from your shoulders. And believer, 
If you're feeling the weight of that, just kneel before the cross again. You don't have to ask to be saved again, but you can ask him to save you from the pain of this again. You're not asking to be, become a Christian again, but you're saying, I'm re-surrendering myself to you and I need you to take this burden off of my shoulders afresh because we're forgetful. Two, two weeks after I did that, I, I'd had this lump growing in a place that you don't want a lump growing. And, and it freaked me out. And it freaked me out as much as the idea of going to a doctor or a nurse and saying, could you have a look at this, please? Because I just, you know, I'm English. <laughs> I'm a bit coy with things like that. So, like, there's just no way. And two weeks later, I'm reading this thing that says that, that God delights to heal. And so I said, okay, I don't really know if I fully believe this, but if you can heal me, please do it. Please heal me. I've got this very physical, very obvious problem here. Please heal me. And I thought, I'm just going to go to sleep <laughs> and I'll check in the morning because my faith hadn't really escalated at that point. So I'm like, I'm just going to check this, this in the morning. And I felt God say, if you trust me, check now. And I did. And I'm not kidding. And sorry that this is graphic. I do apologize. But, but the lump had been about that size. And even in the time of praying, like five minutes of a very rusty, very unprofessional kind of unchristian like experience prayer, it had gone down to that. And in the morning I woke up and it was nowhere to be seen. I've never seen it since. God healed me. There's been other times where God hasn't healed me. Like that same night I said, oh, so Lord, if you could deal with my asthma, if you could get rid of that, that would be terrific. I've had it all my life. That stayed. Now I thought maybe because I put conditions on that. Like I said, if you get rid of this lump, I'll never sleep with anyone again until I'm married. Like that's the way I kind of put it to God. And so I thought he was like, oh, he's done it. Okay, because you're being a good boy and you've said that, I'll, I'll reward you. But with my asthma, I said, like, God, just please take it away. I'll never smoke again. <laughs> I, I did smoke again, and, and my asthma is still there, so yeah, maybe. But <laughs> God healed me, not because I did the right thing, but because he delights to do it. Sometimes he doesn't, but his healing, his full healing of us has already begun, and it will be complete. Come what may. Come what may. You know, there's three ways. There's more than this, but there's three things that come in this package of salvation. The first is adoption. You get adopted into the family of God. You, you get the right to be called a child of God. And, and it's not because you've done the right thing, it's because God's declared that you have the right to be a child of God. I've, I've got scriptures to back this up. I'm going to give them to Jess so she can chuck them in the Go Deeper notes. Um, the second thing is we're justified through faith in Jesus by grace. Not by my works, not by my doing it right, but justified. What, what justified means is there's a legal status change in God's eyes that despite our sinfulness, we have right standing with God so that we may go free. And we have redemption. Scripture talks about us being slaves to our sin, captives to an oppressive master. Redemption is emancipation. It is being set free from an oppressive master. That is what redemption is, being bought at a price. 
and the price being Jesus. I'm going to bring this in because I'd like us to have some time to, again, just respond in our hearts and and maybe Graham would create some space. uh... I'm going to spend one minute talking into this redemption because it's really important. And then I'm going to wrap this all up. We don't like the idea that we're ruled by anyone. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, right? The government, jog on. I don't want to be told what to do. You say it's 70 miles an hour. I I prefer 80. Thank you very much. Come on, some of you, some of you. Come on, at least some of you. None of you are going 69 is fine. We like to push it because we don't want anyone to be the Lord of our lives except for us. And so we think what it is, is either we are Lord or Jesus is Lord. Let me tell you, you were never Lord of your life. Never. There has always been a master. That master has either been Satan or it has been God in your life. That master has either been sin or it has been God in his righteousness. You think that you have the freedom to make all these choices in your life. I don't know about you, but the choices that I made before I knew Jesus Christ all were taking me in one direction I did not want to go. I was destroying everything around me. I mean, talk about scorched earth. I could not help myself what came out of my mouth what came into my mind, where my eyes went. It was all like I couldn't help it. I was addicted in so many ways to so many things. And the biggest addiction of all was thinking that I was the king of my life. And the biggest hurt of all was realizing I wasn't. And so I needed to put a better king on the throne than the one that I had. That's when I bowed before Jesus. And you can do that today. Christian or non-Christian, you know, sometimes our eyes move to a different kind of Lord. Today, put your eyes on the King. Call out to him, your deliverer, to rescue you. You're making a mess. Things around you are a mess. Your heart is in a mess. Your life's in a mess. Whatever it is, call out and he will rescue Do you want to come up, Simon? How do you do that? How how do you call out rescue? Firstly, like I said, God hears and responds to the heart that cries out for it. All you need to do today is two words. Help me. To God. But listen to this, Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, because you're not going to declare that if you want to be the Lord, right? If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, legal status changed, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 
that if you've crossed over some line today in who is the king in your heart, if you've said, get off the throne, come and take up the throne, Jesus, then let me encourage you, confess with your mouth, Jesus is my king, Jesus is my Lord. That is my life from here on in. That is my, my dedication from here on in is to serve him and let him rule. And if you believe in your heart that actually, really, physically, historically, truthfully, Jesus was raised in power from the grave. Hundreds of people saw him. Non-Christians have written about it in the time. The evidence that Jesus raised from the grave, that he wasn't just his body hidden somewhere so these crazy Christian people could write a new religion that would basically seal their death. No, Jesus was raised. The evidence is there. If you can take that to your heart and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Can we stand together?